We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. The mere proximity of a phone, it seems, contributes to what they call brain drain. Our brains may be subconsciously hard at work in inhibiting the desire to check our phones. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So, obviously, there are psychological and scientific studies being done in terms of understanding the effects of cell phone technology on our brains and on our psyches. But all of that research falls on deaf ears when it comes to people who are obsessed with the phone and just feel like it's indispensable to their lives. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 201, pH Factor, Surviving the Lifeline, Cutting the Cord. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. So, Harry, here we are doing podcast 201. And today we're going to be talking about how smartphones have become essentially our lifeline. And as we do this, I think about the simplicity of the fact that we've decided to do this strictly by phone. We're not using Zoom. We're not using FaceTime. We're simply picking up our phones and recording our voices. Right. We're not Zooming. We're not doing all the other things that are always recommended or suggested in order to conduct the actual exchange between us. It's simply two people talking and that's it. We're not relying on added technology in order to carry this out. Okay, so are we surviving the lifeline? Are we cutting the cord by doing it this way? Well, we certainly are reducing it. I don't know that we're cutting it totally because we are still using our smartphones, but the smartphones, in essence, are a replacement for landlines that we used to have. So in that regard, I don't think we've changed it that much in terms of the way we're doing things. Right. So what is the cogent question for our conversation today? What is the main question that you would want to ask about this situation with smartphone use? For me, it's to recognize just how much it's affecting our lives and our brains, the transformations that are occurring. I'll give you a quick example. Check the weather, take a photo, view a video clip, message a friend or a business associate, and ask Siri if you're using an iPhone. I mean, it goes on and on and on. We literally have a very, very powerful computer in our pockets that does essentially everything. It's our walk-around library. It's our lexicon. It's our weather reporter. It's our news provider. Just completely reliant on this thing in our daily life. Mm -hmm. And that's the bad thing or a good thing? Or what are you saying about that? It depends on whether it's being used as a tool or whether it's completely distracting you and disconnecting you from other human beings and other things. So... I think it's detrimental when you are unaware of how it's creating problems for you, either mentally and or physically, such that you're either stressed, depressed, beginning to get a lot of physiological problems, pains in the neck and back, shoulders, affecting your entire sleeping habits. And it comes down to, I think, individual discipline to some degree, although it's so ubiquitous now that I think even the most disciplined of us are having sometimes difficulty disconnecting completely or at least disconnecting more to the level that we need to disconnect in order to maintain a healthy and balanced lifestyle. Yeah, now we're junior seniors, so we were around when television was in its heyday. It had come in in the 50s, 1950s, and as the years rolled on, 
there was lots of discussion about how much television screen time people were having. People watching eight, 10 hours of TV every day. It's too much. It's not so good. And now the same conversation is being had about smartphones and computer screens. But I guess my question is, why is it that we give technology such a free pass? And by that, I mean, why aren't there discussions before the technology is released and unleashed on the public about the benefits and possible harms of that technology. There was no discussion about television, whether we should have it, whether it's a good thing to have it, and let's bring it into our lives or not. It was just suddenly thrust upon us. Now there's television. And the same thing with computers and the same thing with smartphones. Suddenly it's here as a fact of life. And there was no discussion about whether we actually really need or want these new technologies as part of our societal life. For me, that's a big issue. It's after the fact. See what I mean? Yes, I do. And so the people who use smartphones as a tool and have a kind of a balanced relationship with the technology, well, that's all well and good. It's the younger people, the younger generation that grows up with it as part of their anatomy almost that is a real concern because they have no comparison, no basis out of which to see what the technology is really doing to them. Now, what you're talking about, though, I think sort of circumvents the thrust of technology in general, which is apart from just natural advancement, there's a huge dollar sign connected to it. Well, of course. Used properly, technology, in my opinion, is a phenomenal thing. The problem, as you stated, is there's not enough discussion about the ramifications, about the other things that are associated with the technology. So essentially, you're giving a very powerful tool without the education that goes with making it the best possible tool and useful tool that isn't detrimental to our mental and physical health. We've had this kind of discussion before about technology, and I'm going to go back to the same point I've made over and over again which is that it isn't just a tool. Technology is simply not just a tool in the way that a hammer is a tool. A hammer has got a particular use, and when you're not using that hammer, it goes away in a toolbox. It doesn't call out to you to use it. It doesn't use you as a tool in the same way that a smartphone uses you as a tool, in the sense that it says, I'm so indispensable that you can't have me out of your sight. You're going to miss out. You're going to lose out socially, blah, 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 right? So in a sense, these kinds of digital technologies use us as much as or perhaps more than we use them as a tool. And that's different qualitatively from what we understand tools are for in the old sense of the word, in the hammer sense of the word. So there's a discussion to be had there about how technology becomes a frame of mind more than simply a tool, the more that it saturates our life and all parts of our life. What you're talking about now is exactly why we decided to talk about this subject. You talk about the dependency level, how this thing has taken over our lives. It's not something we just pick up. It beckons us, as you say. Yep. And here's a report that actually reflects that. Now, this report is out of the U.S., the average American checks their phone 344 times a day. Wow. That's once every four minutes and spends about three hours a day 
on their devices in total. Now, the problem with some of this stuff, of course, is that when you use your phone for one application, you end up going to a situation where you're automatically being engaged by other things while you're there, email, social media feeds. Suddenly, you're sucked into this endless scrolling. And then I call this the smartphone sucked in syndrome. <laughs> smartphones, in other words, smartphones suck. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, they can suck <laughs> like anything else. If it takes over your life or it makes you unaware of your surroundings or your ability to connect with other people or right. whatever the case might be, like most things done to excess, there are usually negative qualities that are attributed to it. I remember once upon a time, back maybe the 1960s, I was traveling somewhere in Europe, I think, maybe Italy, and there were some nuns walking down the street, and I thought, I'd like to take a picture. They looked interesting. So I pulled out my camera, not a digital, just a film camera at the time, and I pointed it at them, and they went, no, 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 sorry, no, you cannot take a photograph. And ostensibly, the reason was that they felt that the camera sucks a bit of their soul out of them mm. if they allow a photograph to be taken. It actually draws some of their humanity away from them, which I thought was really interesting. In some respects, you can compare that to a cell phone suck, and they do. They suck your time, they suck your energy, your attention, your intention, a lot of those elements. They suck the time you would have engaging another person face-to-face -face or being outside etc. So there's a real issue there. You know, when I get up in the morning, where we are, because we have horses, we're basically farming, if you like, the weather is critical for us. Mm. And so I get up in the morning and I open up MSN weather or the weather network and I look at the weather for the day and the forecast. When I could actually go outside and feel the temperature of the air and look at where the wind is coming from and the cloud formations, and in the olden days, I would then deduce from my innate wisdom of the landscape what the weather would be like through the rest of the day. I could actually figure that out. But I don't anymore because I'm lazy and I open up my computer and there it is right on the screen telling me. So we've come a long ways away from our innate wisdom in the way we connect to the world because of technology and its uh, promises of being more efficient and quicker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. To your point, uh, Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple, as you know, and there's uh, screen time on our phones, which pops up on your screen and tells you how long you've been using your phone or looking at your screen. Mm. And he uses it religiously for himself. A quote from Tim Cook, he says, because my philosophy is, if you're looking at the phone more than you're looking in somebody's eyes, you're doing the wrong thing. So we do things like screen time. I don't know about you, but I pretty religiously look at my report. That's interesting. Yeah. That would be helpful, of course, if people would just simply not ignore it, which most people probably do, I would think. Mm -hmm. This thing about looking in someone else's eyes, well, you can do that, so to speak, via Zoom or something like that. But it's still a digital pair of eyes you're looking at, not an actual pair of eyes. We shouldn't forget that these images are simulations of how we actually look in face-to-face -face conversation. 
And there's something else that's really interesting to me because there are those of us, I include myself in that group, who try to be aware and, and try to limit use by willpower or by decision-making process and so on. I will deliberately not take the phone with me in different parts of the house or when I'm doing something. I don't want the distraction. I don't want to be preoccupied with it. But it's gotten to the point now where you're actually cognizant of the energy that you're using to make that decision or have that willpower. You're kind of turning it off to use it less. But at some point, you end up walking down the hallway or you think of something that the phone can do more efficiently than you're currently doing. Mm -hmm. Like paying a bill or arranging a date with a friend or messaging a family member, checking weather, whatever, all these things that we discussed. So the inclination is to do that simply because we've also changed the patterns in our brains. Our brains are becoming accustomed to this pathway, so to speak. We've habitualized ourselves. It's an addiction, actually, because an addiction is something that you do even when you know it's harmful to you. Sure. It reminds me of, uh, this may seem odd, Peter, but it's like the Swiss army knife syndrome. Mm. where once upon a time, knives were knives. You used them for cutting and jabbing and things like that, peeling, stripping hides or what have you. And then along comes the Swiss Army knife people, and now your knife is not just a knife. It's a nail clipper. It's a can opener. You know, It's four other things that a regular knife would not be. And now suddenly you have all of these little apps, so to speak, at your disposal. You don't have to search for a can opener or a screwdriver because it's right there in the one thing in your hand. And it's very addictive. I mean, I can't tell you how excited I was when I had my first Swiss Army knife. It's very exciting evolution in the technology of knife making. And so I understand how exciting it is to have a phone, a device, that you can do 35 different things with. It's an exciting thing. I get it. I can see how people get hooked on it. Right. And you're talking about 35 different things. Now we've got 35,000 different things. You will never use them all. Right. The point with the phone as well is that it's very powerful. I don't think people really understand what they have in their pockets, the relative power mm. and what it can do. And our Societal dependence on these devices is increasing rapidly every year. Even the research is struggling, I believe, to keep up with all this. We know that a, a simple distraction or checking a phone or seeing a notification can have negative consequences. I mean, people are being killed looking at their phones. Insurance companies now are elevating texting and driving or looking at your phone with drinking and driving, DUI, driving under the influence. They're raising insurance rates. Fines are increasing by significant amounts. I think it's up to about $500 here in Ontario now, your first offense, texting or with a phone in your hand while you're driving. Yeah. So at least there's some recognition of the dangers of these obsessions. But it is very much an addiction. I think the World Health Organization has recognized that video games, especially, there's an addiction out there. A video game playing that we need to be aware of and therapists need to be aware of because a lot of young people are being caught up in that spiral, which really diminishes their life and chews up so much of their social well-being. 
So there is some understanding of that out there. The use of the cell phone seems to overwhelm all of those red flags that pop up and just people obviously feel they just absolutely can't do without them. When I go out to help my wife with the horses, I leave my cell phone behind in the house, mainly because my wife tells me that if the cell phone goes off at the wrong time, the horses might startle and it could be a danger to us. And my thought is, well, if something happens without the cell phone being close by out there with the horses, how do I call for an ambulance or a doctor or for help if something happens? So it becomes a real decision as to whether I bring it or not. We've already talked about the dangers of using a phone while driving, but a common response to the whole issue of phones and driving is, oh, don't worry, I've got the speaker system. I'm connected hands-free. And yet it's been proven that you actually do not react the same way. Just speaking on the phone, studies show that, and this is not even texting, just speaking. It's enough to make drivers slower to react on the road. Yeah. So there is a performance degradation that occurs even when you think that you're in complete control. Or even, for example, everyday tasks, hearing a notification, a ding. Okay, you've been notified. Someone's contacted you. Do you think you can finish putting that food in your mouth before you pick up your phone? Mm, right. Is it that critical mm -hmm. that you feel compelled to respond as soon as you get it? God forbid two minutes pass or five minutes pass. Yeah. It's the extremes. It's not the basic technology. I personally love the technology. I think it's wonderful. The worst part of it for me is the lack of awareness of the negative effects of it more than the actual thing itself sometimes. Even when it reminds you with screen time, etc. Let me give you a funny example. We have a, a Cadillac SUV that we drive. It's all decked out with the digital screen and GPS and all of these audio systems in the vehicle. And you have to, you know, press on these buttons on the screen. It's touch screen to make things happen. And every now and then, what comes up on the screen is this notice saying, be aware that you could be spending too much time looking at this screen. Be aware of that. And then there's a button underneath that statement that says dismiss. And so you have to look at the screen, read the message, and dismiss it in order to go back to the home screen. So it's actually distracting you with the notice of distraction. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. And further to what you're saying, in one recent study, for example, researchers asked participants to either put their phones next to them so they were visible, like uh, on a desk nearby, or out of sight, like in a bag or a pocket, or even in another room. So the participants then completed a series of tasks to test their abilities to process and remember information, their problem solving, and their focus. And they were found to perform far better when their phones were in another room instead of nearby, whether visible, powered, or not. Yep. That held true even though most of the participants claimed not to be consciously thinking about their devices. So the mere proximity of a phone, it seems, contributes to what they call brain drain. Our brains may be subconsciously hard at work in inhibiting the desire to check our phones. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So 
obviously there are psychological and scientific studies being done in terms of understanding the effects of cell phone technology on our brains and on our psyches. But all of that research falls on deaf ears when it comes to people who are obsessed with the phone and just feel like it's indispensable to their lives. Because this is a Swiss army knife, it's got everything you might need in any moment. And so you need to have it close by. And that's part of the issue, part of the problem. If the cell phone only had the ability for you to make phone calls and maybe send a text message every now and then, which some do, it would be a totally different relationship. And I know friends who have bought cell phones that actually are limited in that way and don't have 35,000 apps that you can put on it and do stuff with. And they just use it to make phone calls and send text messages, essentially, in their attempt to reduce their connection to that kind of technology. Exactly. And 10 years ago, let's just say 10 years ago, smart devices, they promised to change the way we think and interact. And they have, but not necessarily by making us smarter. No, I remember, in fact, already worrying about this technology when I saw two teenage girls standing at a bus stop about three feet from each other on their cell phones, and they were clearly talking to each other, actually. And they were talking to each other on their <laughs> cell phones three feet apart. Yeah. That's when you know we've got a problem for sure. There's a town not too far from where I live called Wolfville, and they're having a smartphone video festival. Videos festival using your smartphones. So it's accepted by most people as inevitable that these things are in our lives and that we're going to be using them much in the way that we do and are obsessed with them in that way. So I know that there are people trying to alert us, and you're one of them, to how to try to balance that. But I think most people are not there yet on that front. So we'll have to see how that evolves. But I have a question for you. What do you think is the future of cell phones? What is the technology going to be like in 15, 20 years, 30 years with cell phones? Any thoughts on that? That's a good question. There's a lot of people that are commenting on this sort of thing. I think it's really difficult to say at this point. What I will say is that the developments in AI are going to transform us much quicker than they have in the previous five or 10 years. And I believe that there's an urgency right now with many political factions to sort of scrutinize and to monitor. There's a lot of concern about this sort of power getting out of hand. Yeah, yeah. We are doing things without even being aware. We're being impaired in our ability to remember. We make it more difficult to daydream and think creatively. Yeah, not to mention the isolation factor, how isolated people are. I was on a bus and I was in Montreal recently. I was on a shuttle bus to the airport and back as part of my trip. And I looked around me, there was about a dozen people on the bus. And I would say easily nine or 10 of the dozen people had their heads buried in their cell phones for the entire trip. Mm -hmm. So what is that taking away from us? Well, it's taking away from us the ability to kind of connect and observe our fellow human beings. Instead of heads down in the screens, we could have had our heads up looking around each other, looking out the window at the landscape, getting a sense of who these people might be, connecting. 
But with heads down in cell phones, that doesn't happen. So the isolation deepens and the separation among people deepens and the inability to connect deepens. So that's important. Yes. And it's become so penetrative is the word I like to use. It's infiltrated so many facets of our lives, even if you choose not to own a smartphone. And I know many people who have made that choice. They then begin to realize a different kind of anxiety, and that is the anxiety of being left out because everything is changing and they're not changing with it with all the resistance unless they decide to pack up and leave the world completely and live on a deserted island. So there's this constant struggle. Yeah, and the whole digital communication system is interesting psychologically. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about texting and emailing and telephoning using the smartphone. And they were comfortable with texting and emailing, but they didn't like the idea of phoning someone. And I said, why? And they said, well, it just feels intrusive. It's intrusive on their lives to have a phone call come through. And I thought, wow, in the good old days, that's what you did. You just simply picked up the phone and you called them. There was no issue about, am I intruding on these people? People did that. And if they weren't home and you were worried, you would actually physically go over to their house and knock on their door if you were close enough. You didn't worry about intruding on people's lives by simply knocking on their door. But now it's like you have to text, you have to email first and wait a few days and then follow up with another text and another email. But heaven forfend that you actually pick up the phone and try to reach them directly. You see what I'm saying? Everything is like indirect and at a distance now. I see what you're saying. So let me just add something to that because as you've hit another one of my pet peeves. I believe it goes back to balance. So I'm dealing with customers. I'm helping people with their computers, with their devices and so on. Almost inevitably, every single computer, every single smartphone that I check has, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000 either not viewed or not answered to emails. They have countless notifications that they never look at or never see or are buried in their devices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you talk about not being intrusive. You think that excessive emailing and text messaging is not intrusive? Let me ask you this as we move towards wrapping this up. Do you feel hopeful about the future of our relationship with cell phone technology? Or do you think there needs to be some sort of reckoning or awakening that's going to come after a lot of damage is done? I think the biggest obstacle, although that obstacle is declining because the evidence is mounting and the awareness level is really rising, and I think people are more cognizant of the negative effects of many of the things that we're doing, finding the balance. I think it's about education. I've always thought that not just about technology, but about so many things. People need to know more specifically about what it is that they're doing, the effects, what's actually happening behind the scenes. I don't know that it will become a resolvable problem en masse. Practically speaking, I don't know if it's too little too late in some regards. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I believe that many of these things will not be realized until something happens that there won't be any other recourse but to make a change. Yeah, yeah. Based on what I see, based on what I deal with every day, there doesn't seem to be a rational way to communicate certain things to people without them either feeling that you're 
lecturing them or you're telling them to do something or not to do something that they already know, but they're not prepared to hear. Right. Yeah. I don't believe that everybody's in the dark. I believe that there are a lot of individuals who are very aware of what's happening and are taking action. And technology offers us so many benefits that whether you agree with the outcomes or not, they are there. I mean, you and I couldn't be doing what we're doing without the benefits of technology. I think we can perhaps reach a happy compromise, but I'm probably not the right person to ask because I'm an eternal optimist. Well, and you're also, like me, someone who has straddled the analog to digital worlds. Yes. And the younger generations have not had the benefit of living in the analog age. And so they won't have the same kind of perspective and balance that you bring and I sometimes can bring to these discussions. That's the danger for me that gives me less hope altogether for the future. But of course, I won't be around to see what happens. I mean, it may be that technology breaks down at a certain point in a serious way. We've seen the odd breakdowns locally with Rogers and what's happened to the telecommunication systems for a day or so breaking down and how seriously that's taken, how frantic people get whenever that happens. Now, you imagine that happening for a week or a month where the technology is simply down either because of nefarious reasons, digital warfare, or just because of a general breakdown and to see what happens to people's psyches in those months would be very interesting. And we may end up having that kind of catastrophe happen and who knows what will happen out of that. So we'll just have to wait and see, I guess, at this point. Yeah. And when you talked about the crossover of analog and digital and the fact that we had that experience, to me, one of the greatest challenges today is how do you communicate something to people without sounding like you're lecturing or pontificating? And at the same time, there's part of you that goes, well, it is important to understand that bridge. Even though you think it doesn't exist in your modern world, you are beholden to the things that you have because you don't understand any other. Mm -hmm. Right. Which makes you actually a bit of a lapdog to the technology that is at hand. So that's the danger. And most young people don't want to hear old folks pontificating. Maybe that's the word, pontificating about the dangers of these things. We had people in our youth talking to us about the dangers of watching too much television, and we ignored them pretty well. So we're going to have to let the younger generation figure it out and come to their own wise conclusions about how to deal best with technology, how to rein it in when necessary, and to just modulate and regulate how much technology is allowed in their own personal lives, but also allowed in the lives of the nation. Governments have some responsibility in that regard to eyeball the health of the nation from the point of view of digital harm. We need to reduce our isolation from each other in terms of the generations, and we can definitely learn from each other. And on that note, Harry, ciao. Ciao, Peter. And I'll text you later. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.